if you're new to Revolution, we like to go through books of the Bible. So right now we are in the Gospel of Mark, and I'm excited more and more each week because Mark's goal is, is my goal, and that is to make you fall more in love with Jesus. Because I really believe the more you know Jesus, the more you love Jesus. And so I'm hoping that we as a church, not just us as individuals, but we as a church, fall in love with Jesus Christ as revealed in the Gospel of Mark. And so, um, actually, I, we're, I'm going to have you read the scripture here with me today, if you don't mind. I'm going to read this slide, and you'll read the next slide and every other slide with me, okay? Does that sound good? Say amen if that sounds good. All right, so here we go. Mark chapter 7. We're going to finish the chapter today. Verse 31. It says, And then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And join me on verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Verse 33 says, And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. Wow, that's different, isn't it? All right, join me on verse 34. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephephtha, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Okay, that is, that is, be open. I should have given you the hard verse, but there we go. All right, you did good. Verse 34 says, And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. Verse 35, And his ears were open, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Verse 36, everybody. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Verse 37 says, And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 8. Um, actually, we're going to skip that right there. All right. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Do you know what we just read was God's word, not our opinion? <laughs> In fact, what we, re we believe as a church that the Bible is the inspired, perfect, inerrant word of God. There's a lot of churches getting away from that. They believe they have an imperfect Bible. And I'm like, why not just close the doors and go do something else? You'd be better off fishing on Sunday morning if you're not preaching the word of God. We could, we could be studying Shakespeare or do something else if we're just going to lower the scripture to that level. Um, <clears throat> my grandkids were over the house recently, and Zane and Elijah, I said to them, I, I did a typical granddad joke. You know, I said, boys, do you think I could poke my head through this hole? And they're like, no, Grandpa, you can't do that. I'm like, I can. And they're like, no, seriously, I could poke my head through this hole. And they're like, no, no, there's no way. And I said, watch me. And I went, and I poked my head through the hole. You know, typical corny dad joke there, right? But the problem was they were assuming one thing, and then I was going to do it one way, but I had something totally different in mind that was still true. And this is kind of the way this story goes here this morning, is the crowd is seeing Jesus one way, but he's going to show them he sometimes does things totally different than what they expect. It says he returned from the region of Tyre and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. So he keeps going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, which his ministry is based on the Sea of Galilee. And he goes into an area called the Decapolis. Let's do some little word study here. Deca means what? Ten. Opolis, like Indianapolis or Annapolis or any of those. It means city, right? So put the two together, what do we have? Ten cities. There's an area of ten cities. So you could basically say that Jesus went down to an area like Santa Fe, Dickinson, League City, Texas City, 
Lamarck, all those down there, they're all kind of clustered together, you know? That's what this area was, and it was called the Decapolis because it was under Roman rule, and uh, a general had gone into that area and basically united those 10 villages or towns and said, you guys are under Roman rule, and if Israel doesn't behave themselves, you guys are going to militarize and we're going to attack them. So this was kind of like enemy territory again. In fact, you'll see right here kind of a map of Jesus' ministry. See how they go back and forth across the, the sea? But then they go up to Tyre, and then when Jesus wants to go to the Decapolis in the bottom right, he does something really weird. He goes north first to Sidon, and then he goes south. And there's a lot of critics of the Bible who actually will point to this patch and say, see, the Bible can't be inspired because Mark doesn't even know his geography. There's nobody would go from Tyre heading to the Decapolis, and they would go north first. You know, Mark obviously doesn't know his geography. Mark is just writing legends and myths. Doesn't even, it's, the Bible's not even geographically accurate. Well, that's really pretty lame. It, it didn't say that Jesus didn't have a reason for going through Sidon. And also, if you look at the map, <clears throat> if you're traveling all these miles, not on horseback, not on donkeys, but how? On walking, you're going to need what? If you do a lot of walking, what are you going to need? Water. And look how when he travels south, he's traveling along riversides. So that's one reason amongst many that Jesus could have chosen that route. But also, we, the Bible clearly says that if we recorded everything Jesus did, the Bible, the books of this world cannot contain it. This 66 books would not even be enough to tell us all Jesus did. So Jesus had a purpose for going to Sidon. Water could have just been one of them. But who knows how many people he healed in Sidon. So to trash the Bible just because Jesus didn't travel the way you thought he should have traveled, don't you see how people are looking for an excuse? And most of, the, most of your lost friends who are saying, oh, I don't believe the Bible, the Bible's full of mistakes, whatever, there's a reason they don't want to believe it's true. Because if the Word of God is true, then what do we have to do? We have to do what it says. And how many people want to do what God says? That's not popular. That's not cool. That's not fun. And so it's, it's really because of pride that most people will attack the Bible. Um, and it says, and they began to beg. It, it previously, we saw that miracle a few weeks ago where Jesus encountered a demoniac. This is a way of saying a maniac who had a demon. And he cast the demon out of him, which nobody else could do. In fact, this guy was so strong, they tried to bind him with chains. And what did he do to the chains? He broke them. And if several guys tried to hold him down, man, he could take on four or five guys, no problem. But he's going through the graveyards and he's cutting himself. He's doing all the things that demons do, which is destroy people, right? Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus cast him out. And you think that the whole town would be like, yeah, Jesus, you rock, you're awesome. And you know what they told him? Jesus, please get out of here, leave. We don't want you here anymore. Because 2,000 pigs went into the sea and drowned, and their hog industry was destroyed. So it was really about the almighty dollar, right? They were more concerned about money than this man who was healed. And they're thinking, man, if, Jesus, if they could, should have been thinking, if Jesus could do this for us, what else could he do for our town? But all they saw was drowning pigs, and money went down the tubes, literally. And they're like, Jesus, please, just leave. So Jesus leaves the Decapolis, and how's his approval rating? It's lower than most politicians today, okay? They don't like Jesus in this area. And this is where Jesus is going back to. So that kind of sets the stage for us. 
and it says in Mark chapter 5, several chapters ago, he did not permit him. He said, but go home to your friends. He's talking to the demon-possessed guy. This demon-possessed guy said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you want. I want to become one of your 12. I want to be number 13. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Here's what I want you to do instead. I want you to go home. I want you to tell your friends. Okay, sometimes Jesus told people not to tell, and sometimes he did. We'll talk more about that. And then he said, I want you to tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Well, evidently, this guy did a good job because when Jesus left, was he popular? No, okay? Now when Jesus comes back, watch, watch how things have changed. So he went and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, where this is the area where Jesus is returning to, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Now, wait a minute. Jesus told him to go where? Go home and tell your friends. And what does the guy do? He goes to 10 cities and tells everybody. You talk about going the extra mile. This guy did it. He became an evangelist for Jesus. He went around to these 10 towns. All he was told was, go home. He'd be like, tell him, hey, Lauren, just go, to the, go back to Texas City and tell your neighbors. And you decide to go to every town down there and tell everybody. This guy goes beyond what God has done because God went beyond and did so much for him, right? That's what we all should do. So months later, crowds are now waiting for Jesus, wanting him to do more miracles. What changed? What changed was one guy telling what Jesus had done for him. Think about that. One man went around traveling everywhere he went. He would probably be in the grocery store. Hey, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. You know, he'd be digging a ditch and say, hey, guys, let me tell you while we're working here what Jesus did for me. He'd be selling animals at the marketplace. Say, hey, while we're here, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Everywhere he went, he told Jesus how much Jesus had done for him. All that was changed. Ten cities were changed by one man. Do not underestimate what God can do with you. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your relatives, or wherever you go, just by you simply saying what God has done for you, you can be, have a positive influence. And see, right now we live in a world where do, Jesus, do, do people have a positive impression of Jesus and Christians? In general, no. But this one guy changed all that, and you can too. Uh, I remember uh, years ago, Bob would say when pe at work, when people would say, how are you? He'd say, I'm thankful. You know, and says, so just say, I'm good. He'd say, I'm thankful. Is that, I get it right, Bob? And people, that would that would lead people to do what? Thankful for what? And they go, well, I'm glad you asked. And he'd tell them about, you know, what God has done for him. It's, you, it only takes little efforts like that to make a big difference. And evidently, this one guy changed the impression of Jesus from a negative to where they were begging him to leave to a positive, as you'll see here in just a moment. So when he got there, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. Notice this guy he doesn't have a problem with his legs. Remember there was a guy who was paralyzed and they brought him on a stretcher or basically on a bed? They had to bring him because he couldn't come. Well, this guy doesn't have bad legs. He's got bad ears and a bad tongue, but he can walk. But they still had to bring him because he probably, who knows why? Was he embarrassed? I don't want, I don't want to be in public. He, he was probably shunned because in this culture, when people had these handicaps, people thought that they were either demon-possessed or cursed by God, or, or whatever, and, and that seems kind of foreign, but even in the United States a couple, year, couple hundred years ago, there were certain Indian tribes that if a child was born deaf, they would kill him, because they just thought it was a curse, and so in this culture, this guy was a social outcast, 
but his, probably his family members or somebody who cared about him said, no, really, come on, come on. And it says when they brought this man to Jesus, the word means they almost like threw him at his feet. Like, here, Jesus, do something with this guy. And it says, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. Now, wait a minute. Two chapters ago, they begged him to leave. <clears throat> and here's the same word. Instead of begging Jesus to leave, they're begging Jesus to do something. And again, it all changed because of, of one man's opinion, spreading that opinion. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. But watch, Jesus doesn't do that. See, they saw Jesus laying hands on different people. So they're thinking, hey, Jesus must have this certain way he does miracles. So Jesus, do that miracle this way. But Jesus is always surprising people. He, he's, remember that the whole poke in the head thing? They, they saw it one way, but Jesus is going to do it a different way here. You see, Jesus used all kinds of methods uh, to heal. Sometimes he touched. Sometimes he just commanded it to be so. Sometimes he wasn't, one, remember that one guy who said, my daughter is sick? And he said, well, let's go to your house. And he said, no, no. All you have to do is say the word and it'll happen. And Jesus is like, wow, what great faith. So Jesus from 20 miles away says, she's healed and it happens. Sometimes Jesus does it by spitting twice in the Bible. Here, this is one of them where he's, this one is, it's gross. He spits on his hand and then it says he touched his tongue. Implying that he's transferring to spit there. That's weird, okay. Another time he spits and makes mud and puts on, where? On a guy's eyes, okay. <clears throat> and then sometimes he simply did it by praying for the person. So you couldn't predict how Jesus was going to do it. He always was changing the method. And there's a reason for that. It's because if Jesus did it the same way every time, like let's say Jesus always did it by laying on hands and saying, be healed. Then guess what? People say, oh, that's the way you heal people. And Jesus decided to say, no, it's not the way you do it. It's who does it. Jesus was trying to point to the man, not the method. We don't want to put God in a box and say, we always got to do it this way. And there's even certain churches around today that say, in order to cast out demons, you have to do this, this, and this. And you don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Jesus did it different all kinds of ways. And Jesus healed in different ways. And so the reason he mixes it up is so their eyes are on him, the healer, not the way the healing happens. Um, it says, and looking, and he take, took him aside from the crowd. So there's thousands of people there, and they put him, say, hey, Jesus, please heal this guy. He says, okay. And I think my, my personal opinion here is Jesus senses this guy didn't want to come in the first place. He's embarrassed. He's a social outcast. And people still do this today, where if someone's deaf or mute or both, we think they're stupid. And, and they get treated that way. I had a friend named uh, John that became a Christian in, my, in the youth ministry when I was just a teenager at, at a church in Newark, Delaware. And John's dad was an alcoholic and was abusive to his mom and to the kids. And one time, John had an ear infection and John's dad punched him upside the head and burst his eardrum when he was just a little kid. And so because he, and so he totally lost hearing in that ear. And as you're growing up, you need your ears to develop proper speech. But John kind of talked like this because he couldn't hear very well. So people thought since John talked like that, that John was stupid. And they always call him idiot and stupid and things like that. And, and people are just as cruel then as they are today. And so this was probably a really awkward situation for this guy. And Jesus puts his arm around and says, hey, come here. Y'all just stay, hang tight. And maybe the disciples came along, and Jesus walks him off to the side, puts his hands on his shoulders, and looks in his eyes. 
and gave him some personal attention he probably had never had in his life because he had always been shunned and treated differently because of his handicap. <clears throat> so he pulls him aside privately away from the crowd. They probably can still see him, but he wanted to give him that personal one-on-one attention. And then he takes his fingers and he sticks them in his ears. And then he spits and, and he applies it to his tongue. And again, this is really up close and personal in a really awkward way, isn't it? And you know what? Coming to Christ can be that way. Especially when our weakest part of our life is exposed. The very things that we're ashamed of and embarrassed about that we confess to the Lord and Jesus comes and meets us there. I think Jesus, is, what he's doing here is he's using his own type of little sign language. Let's talk about, look at what Jesus is doing here in, in Mark chapter 7. He does five different forms of his own sign language. American sign language hasn't been invented yet. International sign language hasn't been invented. So this isn't ASL. This is JSL. Jesus is doing his own little language here because this guy can't hear it. So he's using symbols here. He's using pictures. Now, when someone is deaf and or mute, you know how it is when you lose one sense, what happens to the other senses? They become, so this, they become enhanced. So this guy's visual perception is enhanced. So Jesus is being very visual with him using these visual signs. And so number one, he takes them away privately. He wanted to give them some focused, one-on-one -on -one personal attention. This guy wasn't just another number in the crowd. He wanted to pull him aside and love on him like he probably had never been loved on before. Very likely this guy had never married, had no children, had very few, if any, friends. Uh, my guess is the people who brought him were, were his relatives who wanted to see this miracle done. But he also wanted to make sure this guy, this decision was something this guy wanted. Not just because they threw him before Jesus, but that this guy would say, hey, coming to me as your Savior is not something that you do in a crowd. This is something you need to do on your own. This needs to be a, a personal decision, not something you are pressured into. We hear about this all the time where kids grow up in church and like everybody at camp is getting saved. Like, well, I guess I better go forward to get saved. And that's what all my friends are doing. And I talked to one kid about four years ago who got baptized and he, I said, why are you getting baptized? He said, because all my friends told me I need to get baptized. <laughs> so we kind of straightened that out. And you don't make decisions because of the crowd around you. And, and kids who are here this morning, you're not a Christian because your parents brought you to church. And you're not a Christian because your grandma or your grandpa brought you to church. You are a Christian because you on your own need to decide to follow Jesus. It's not my parents' religion. It's my Jesus, and I'm trusting him personally. And he, he wanted to make sure that that guy's decision was that way. Number two, he, Jesus enters the weakest, most insecure part of him. Now think about that. Remember years ago, we, uh, we had a life group in Alvin, meeting at the Alvin Bounce Hall. Remember that? And there was a little kid named RJ who had a, a handicapped hand. And he would always like hide it behind his back, or if he had long sleeves on, he would pull it over his hand. He didn't want the other kids to see. And he was really insecure about that hand. He, was, he had been teased and bullied in school about it. So he was always hiding that hand. And, and, and you and I, we have weakest parts of our life. Some of them are physical. You know, we may not like how short we are or how overweight we are or how skinny we are or how ugly we are, whatever it may be. There may be part of us we don't like. And especially if you have something about you physically or maybe even emotionally, that's, that's an embarrassing part of your life. This guy was probably really sensitive about his ears. And for someone to come up and put their, 
not just touch his ears, but put their fingers in their ears. This has got to be really hard for him. And you know what? Truly coming to Christ can be a difficult process because we've got to realize that our weakest part is what Jesus can heal. And we, sometimes we don't acknowledge that we have that part of our life. We don't, we don't want to acknowledge that we're that proud or that we're that arrogant or that we're that selfish. But Jesus comes in and he says, no, no, I, I know your problem. I'm going to get up close and personal with your problem. And I'm going to be really close to it. And Jesus wasn't trying to shame him. That's why he pulled him aside. He's just trying to say, hey, if this is your problem, I'm, the, I'm your solution. And the next thing he says, it's, it's, he spits and touches his tongue. Wow, that's really weird. Well, let's give it some historical context. Now, there was a belief by rabbis in that day that the firstborn child had something medicinal in their spit. There was one rabbi that wrote in the Talmud about, go see the firstborn son. You'll know it's him because his saliva heals. So they had this idea that that's obviously not true, at least not to that degree. There is some medicinal benefit in your saliva. That's why dogs lick their wounds and things like often, okay? And it, there was a, a study done by scientists where they took a bunch of rabbits, they took a scalpel, and they just did an incision and caused a little wound. And then they used human saliva on half in the study group and not on the other half. And guess which half healed faster? The one that had human saliva on their incision. So there is some medicinal benefit to that. I don't think Jesus is saying, I'm going to heal you with my spit, though. I think he's trying to say, hey, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to heal you. And he's using sign language. I'm going to heal your ears. I'm going to heal your tongue. It says he had a speech impediment. But if you combine that with deafness, okay, he's only making noises. And he's what they used to call tongue-tied. And there's a surgery now where you can make an incision below the tongue to free up the tongue. And that's something of what this guy probably had. And so Jesus is using these signs for healing to let him know what he's doing. And the fourth sign he does is as he's touching him, and he does this, he looks up into heaven. He wants this guy to know that your healing is not coming from some earthly magical formula here. Your, your healing is coming from God above. And that Jesus is the instrument of that healing. Of course, Jesus is God in the flesh. But this is, he's trying to let him know where it's coming from at this point in time. And then number five, it says he sighs. Now, again, skeptics will say, well, Jesus sighed because he was, like, intimidated because this was a really hard miracle. And he's like, oh, man, I'm not sure I can do this. That kind of sigh. Do you think that's what it was? And Jesus told a little girl who was dead, get up, little girl. She pops right up. So if Jesus can raise a, a little girl just by saying hi to her, he doesn't have any problem taking care of a guy's deaf ears and his mute tongue. Okay? He's sighing because he has compassion. Now, let's say that you have an unlimited amount of money. Let's say that you've joined, you know, uh, Elon Musk and, and Bill Gates, and you're in that crowd where you're a mega billionaire, okay? And someone comes to you and says, hey, I've kind of gotten behind on my mortgage, and so I'm like six months behind. Can you help me? Pfft, no problem. There you go. But then someone else comes and says, my little girl is dying of cancer, and she's got, she needs uh, about a million and a half dollars to get this special treatment. And you would sigh like, oh, man, I'm really sorry to hear that. You're not sighing because the amount of money has just changed because you have an unlimited amount of money in your checkbook there. You're sighing because you have compassion on what's happening. And, that, and Jesus, that's the wonderful thing I love about Jesus. He's compassionate. You see, 
if, if you were like Jesus who has unlimited power, you could do pretty much whatever you want, you could just really start treating people like numbers, like boom, boom, heal, 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 heal. Okay, another day done. Let's go back to work. But Jesus always seems to be, have his heart touched by those who are hurting. And that's why Jesus sighs in this situation. He says, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which is, that is, be open. Now, this is further proof that Mark is writing to a Gentile audience because they wouldn't know what this word means. So he, you always see in the book of Mark, that means this, that means this, that means this, where the Jews were like, of course I know what that means. I speak the language. And this is Aramaic. It's not Hebrew, but it was still a local dialect that Jesus spoke in, but he translates it for his Roman and Gentile audience. <clears throat> now, some people think, again, just critics of the Bible who don't know what they're talking about say, oh, Jesus is doing a magical thing like abracadabra or alakazam. And it's not. He simply said what he wanted, be open. Open his ears, open his tongue, heal. And it says, so his ears were open and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. Now, this miracle is on a much bigger level than we're realizing here. Let's say you grew up where you were speaking and hearing, but then you lost it. And then you miraculously got it back, and then you resumed talking. But this guy was always this way. Jesus not only had to open his ears and loose his tongue, he had to download language into his brain. This guy didn't learn that. Did not, all he did was make noises. And now all of a sudden he's speaking perfect Hebrew or Aramaic or both. Because God put all, so he healed him. He healed his brain in the whole process. No speech therapy. So if you've been deaf your whole life and all you're doing is making some noises and now all of a sudden you're healed, you'd have to learn how to talk even though the physical capability is there. You'd have, to have, you'd have to be trained. You'd have to go to speech therapy. And you may never recover from that because what happens? You know, you, if you grew up in a bilingual home, you learn that you know, from ages zero to five. But try learning Spanish when you're 40. It's not easy because your brain starts closing. Well, this guy's an adult and the language is like that. He could have never recovered from this, but Jesus not only heals his ears, heals his tongue, he heals his brain. And that's what Jesus does. He completely heals. And so Jesus charged them. Again, he pulled them aside, but evidently there's some people there, so I'm guessing it's the disciples. Hey, don't tell anyone. And you see that pattern where Jesus, sometimes he tells people like the guy, the demon-possessed guy in the Decapolis, go home and tell your friends. But then sometimes he says, tell no one. And why is Jesus doing this? Well, let's look at the pattern first. Back in Mark chapter 1, he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to even speak. He told the demons, don't tell anyone, which is really interesting. And then in chapter 1 also, verse 44, he said to the leper, say nothing to anyone. Just go show the priest. Chapter 3, verse 11, <clears throat> unclean spirits. And he strictly ordered the unclean spirits, don't make him known. The demons knew who Jesus was. He's telling them, don't tell anybody. And of course, they listened, but people didn't. Interesting. Verse 42, and immediately the girl got up, began walking, that he raised her dead. And he strictly charged them, the family, that they should what? That no one should know this. Then Jesus laid hands on his eyes, a blind man, and he could open his eyes and his sight was restored. And he said, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to home, and he says, do not even enter the village. He said, I can't even trust you not to tell you, but I said, don't even go back home. 
Just go this way, go a different way, or go around the village. Don't even talk to anybody about what happened. And then Jesus charged them to tell no one in this situation. Why? Think about this. So Jesus' fame is spreading. Why is his fame spreading? Because he's a healer. And especially when he fed people, then, then the crowd started growing. And what did he tell them? He said, you're here because you want more free food. Jesus didn't want to be known as the food truck. He didn't want to be known as the magic man or the, even as a healer because his primary purpose in coming to earth was Luke 19.10 say, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He wanted to be known as the Savior because if word got out that all he was was a healer, would anybody go to heaven? No. They would have their limbs restored. They'd have their eyes restored, their ears, their mouth restored, but their soul would still be dying and going to hell. He said, I want the complete story to go out. And let, let me, let's look at this and we can see why in Jesus' own words. So Jesus was at um, Caesarea Philippi, where there's a whole bunch of different gods and temples and stuff like that. And they're looking at all these different gods and play, people that are being worshipped. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. <clears throat> and then he strictly commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, about the healing, he said, here's why I don't want you to tell people. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise from the dead. He said, the reason I don't want you to go and broadcast this day because the, it, this whole story is not complete. You see, you can't just preach about the healing of Jesus without preaching about the death of Christ and more importantly, the resurrection of Christ. He wanted the whole package to be delivered. That, hey, remember the guy who did the healing? He died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. That's the whole story. If you just get part of the story, it's a mixed message. But Jesus, that's why Jesus delayed it. And then once he rose from the dead, he gathered his church together and he said, hey, go tell everybody. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. You see how Jesus was holding it back, holding it back, holding it back. And then when the gospel was complete, death, burial, and resurrection, he said, now go tell everybody. And tell about the healings too. And so you could see people coming out of the closet if, if, with all their healings saying, yeah, this same Jesus who healed me, he rose from the dead. And you could see how one would give credence to the other. And that's why Jesus held those things back. So here, there's a lot of irony in this story. Here's a man who is unable, who is unable to speak. Okay? He's unable to speak and he, and he can't speak. But what does Jesus do? Then when he's able to speak, he says, don't, don't speak. <laughs> this guy has a great story to tell, and he's like, the greatest thing that ever happened to me. You don't want me to talk about it? You don't want me to say anything? And now that I finally am able to speak, I have something to talk about, and you're telling me not to tell anybody. And of course, he went out and disobeyed him, and I can kind of go with him on that. <laughs> I'm not condoning it, but I can see why he would talk about this very thing. And it says, and they were astonished beyond measure. The word uh, has the adjective hoopo, which means hyper. They were like hyper astonished. They were, they were so astonished they couldn't even contain themselves. And they make this great statement here that he has done all things well. You see, the Pharisees saw these miracles, right? Last night, me and the kids watched two, not one, but two chosen episodes. And it was the one where he heals the guy's hand in the synagogue. And the people around are like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And the Pharisees, you can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't do that. If God wanted to heal him, he would have done it himself. And Jesus says, good point. <laughs> Which is, that's in the chosen. But anyway, 
Um, but they saw these same miracles. And they chose not to be astonished. The crowd was like so astonished they couldn't contain themselves. And the Pharisees were like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. They, they were appalled. Why? Because Jesus didn't fit into their religious system. Well, that's not the way we do church. That's not the way we do synagogue. We don't teach that. We don't act that way. What are you doing, Jesus? And he's like, I'm just doing what, what the Old Testament says. You've added all these layers of religion to the Old Testament. I'm peeling all that away and just doing what the Old Testament says. He, he's, you see, for those of you who are fortunate to grow up in church, okay? Got a lot of young people in here. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five. You know, a bunch of lo- little kids over in another building. Six, seven. I got seven teenagers in here this morning, and I've got about 17 te- little kids over there and in some of the nursery. You're in a very special space, okay? Most of your friends probably don't go to church, okay? Um, maybe some do, maybe some don't. But you're, you're in a church where your pastor's not perfect, but we are going through the Word of God systematically, and you're hearing it all. And, and, and you're growing up in church, but I, I want to warn you, to, to be careful. The Pharisees grew up around religion. They memorized chunks of the Bible. It was not uncommon for a rabbi to be able to quote the first five books of the Bible, all of it, from memory. And yet, when the Messiah came, they're like, oh no, that's not the way we learned it. No, no, no. Not going to let you be more popular than me. Man, people are leaving my synagogue to go hear you out by the lakeside. You can't have church by a lakeside. You got to have it in a building. And they're just getting mad. And what I'm seeing happening is there's kids growing up in church like you guys have grown up in church. You're hearing the truth about Jesus Christ. And then you go off to college and some professor's going to tell you all that Bible stuff's not true. And everything your parents and your grandparents and your church poured into you, you'll go, I'm telling you, don't do it. Because what's going to happen is you'll go through a lot of pain and stuff. You'll have a lot of fun at first while you're doing all things you shouldn't be doing. But then you're going to have a lot of pain and suffering. And all the adults said, amen. It comes with all that fun, supposed fun. And then you're going to come back to Jesus. But you're going to come back with a lot of scars. And what I'm trying to do this morning, I'm begging you, is skip all that. Hold on to Jesus. Believe what your parents and your grandparents and what Christians have believed for 2,000 years, that it is true. And spare yourself a lot of pain and suffering. It says he has done how many things well? All things well. Man, Jesus didn't do any miracle halfway. He didn't do it anything well. I tried, but you know, it didn't work out this time. Man, Jesus did it all well. And you know what? This phrase really sounds super familiar. In Genesis, God's going through the days of creation, and and he creates the light. And what does he say about the creation? The the light. It was that it's good. And then he creates the dry earth and the seas. And what does he say about that? That it's good. And he creates the trees and the fruit and all that. And he says, it's good. And then he separates the light from the darkness and says, it's good. And then he creates sea creatures and birds of the air. And he says, it's good. The beasts of the earth. And what does he say about that? It's good. And then he puts his crowning jewel on creation. He creates man. And then he says, oh, now it's very good. See, you know, there's a difference between us and animals. People are trying to say, you know, animals have rights, and, you know, we shouldn't be killing animals and all that stuff like that. God gave us animals to eat, 
and pulled pork is awesome. Amen? Amen? Okay? Okay? And, and man, I love chickens. I love stuff. And so people are like, some people are cruel to animals, and that's wrong. That's evil. And some people say, don't even touch the animals, and that's stupid. Okay? The Bible says you love your animal until it's time to eat it. <laughs> and then you humanely kill it, and you eat it. And that's what God gave you the animals for. Right, for the, the Jews had a Levitical diet, right? Okay, now we're, but he does, he did declare that all things are clean as long as it's sanctified with thanksgiving and prayer. But that's a whole nother discussion. You, you can eat too much of that, but for sure. But what he, he says that creation's good, but when I put man in charge of it, man, it's very good. And you see this language here, it's repeated. And it's really similar to what he has made all things well, very well. Jesus, does, here's the, Jesus, who spoke the world's in existence that all these things were good, is now still doing good. And he's still doing the job right. He's making new ears and new tongues and new eyes and new hands. And guess what? He's doing it just like he create creation. He did it all really good. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. <clears throat> you know, this is the only time this word mute is used in the New Testament. And then... Follow me here, okay? Track here. I'm trying to accomplish. The Old Testament was written in what language? Hebrew. But it was translated into Greek so they could have a whole Greek Bible, which was the common language of the day. And did you know that they did such a good job translating it from Hebrew to Greek that Jesus quoted from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and it's called the Septuagint, which means God preserved his word from one language to the next, and Jesus quoted from, which he wouldn't quote for something that was badly translated, right? And so in the Old Testament, when I say there's a Greek word in the Old Testament, I'm talking about the, trans, the, uh, the Septuagint. So this word mute is used one time in Isaiah and one time in Mark. And these, these, Mark chooses that word on purpose here. He says, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Notice who says who's coming. God will come with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Verse 5 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute, same word that Mark uses on purpose, shall sing for joy. And so here he's saying God will come and do all this, and who's doing it? Jesus is doing it. So if anybody tries to teach you Jesus is not God, okay, they, they have their Bible wrong. Uh, John chapter 14 Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And, and Philip says to him, Lord, if you would just show us the Father, we'll be really satisfied. And he says, Philip, have I been so long with you that you say to me, show us the Father? Hello. And he says, I and the Father are one. He that believes on me has received the Father. Now, we, one God who fully expresses himself in three persons, Right? That's hard for our little three-pound brains to comprehend, but it's true. We, have, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God fully expressed in three persons. And Jesus is saying, I am at one with the Father. And I basically, Jesus is saying, I am God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So what can we learn from this deaf and mute man, from all that he went through? And what is Mark trying to teach us? Number one, I believe that what Mark is trying to teach us is that Jesus wants to meet you personally. So I'm glad that everybody is here in church this morning and you're here to worship the Lord. But you must, you are not a Christian because you are in this building. 
I am, that would be like me standing in a garage saying I'm a Volvo, okay? I'm not a car because I'm in a garage. You're not a Christian because you're in this building. You are a Christian if you put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. And you make that decision on your own. We worship together, but we get saved separately. You are not saved because your parents are. Number two, Jesus heals us at the deepest point of our weakness. If this guy could hear, if this guy could speak, he may have never met Jesus. And you may look at your life and say, why am I this way? Why do I have this thing in my life that's so embarrassing that I just hate and I wish it wouldn't be? Maybe God is using that to bring you to Jesus. And that's where Jesus meets you. I, I've met so many people who've come to me as a pastor say, my marriage is falling apart, my husband just left me, or whatever it may be. And why is God allowing this to happen? I said, you're here, aren't you? You're here. And if your husband never comes back, but you find Jesus, that will be worth it all. Now, let's say you find Jesus and your husband comes back, great. But God can use the broken things in our lives to bring us to him. 2 Corinthians 12 says, so to keep, so Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that was. Different pastors can agree and disagree on what it is. But he says whatever it was, was to keep him from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Who wrote most of our New Testament? Paul. Man, did Paul have a reason to be cocky or to flex? He definitely could say, man, look how much I wrote. <laughs> you know, uh, Jude, one little book, one chapter, 13 books, boom. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been all swole about what he was doing and gotten conceited, but God gave him this thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. And it says, a thorn was giving the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, nope, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. So think about the weakest part of your life. God can be glorified in it. In fact, God will be glorified in it if you'll be humble and acknowledge it as weakness. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more and gl gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He goes on to say, for the sake of Christ then, I am content. Okay, with what? Weaknesses? You want to insult me? Great. You want to put me through hard times? Great. You want to persecute me? Great. You want to bring in calamities in my life? Great. Because all those things make me weak. And guess what? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Then people say, man, how did you do that? I don't know. It's God. It's all God. And God gets the glory and he strengthens us in those times. <clears throat> Back in the 1920s, there was a boxer named Gene Tunney. And he was known as the Fighting Marine. And this is back in the day when boxers didn't just dance around stuff. They just would slug it out. Just slug it out. Just punch each other and pound each other. And he was pounding so much that he broke several knuckles in his hand in one fight. And he went to a doctor, and a doctor said, you'll never fight again. And then he met another boxer. See, at this point, he is a light heavyweight, okay? He met another boxer who was a middleweight boxer, much smaller, but a very skilled boxer. And his name was, he was a Jewish boxer named Benny Leonard. And Benny Leonard told Gene Tunney, he said, if you will learn how to box the way I teach you to box, you'll box again. And so this is when boxers just slugged it out, but Benny Letter said, taught him how to stick. It was called stick and dance. Stick and then move away. Stick and move away. 
And that kind of boxing wasn't popular at all, wasn't the way to do it. But he said, if you want to box again, you can do it my way. And he taught him how to, to do an uppercut, how to do a flurry, how to do a jab and poke away. And he taught him all those things. And Gene Tunney started boxing again. The heavyweight champion of the world that time was the famous Jack Dempsey. Well, Tunney put on some weight, put on some muscle, moved up a class, and fought Jack Dempsey and knocked Jack Dempsey out because he learned how to box right. He never would have learned it had he not broken all the knuckles in his hand. But because he had a point of weakness and it was exposed, but he learned, he, he learned how to do it right and he became the champion. You see, what can we learn from this deaf and mute man? Jesus wants to meet us personally. Uh, Jesus heals us at the deepest point of our weakness just like you did here, just like this story with the boxing. And Jesus healed us at the deepest point of his weakness, the cross. Think about that. Jesus became weak and poor and vulnerable and tortured and arrested so that he could save us. Isaiah 53, 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for what? Our transgressions. He was crucified for what? Our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds were healed. Jesus became weak so that we could become strong. Jesus was wounded so that we could be healed. Jesus took upon sin so that we could become righteousness. Do you see that amazing universal trade? If we are willing to fall at his feet and make him the Lord of our life. Do you know this Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you come to him personally like this deaf man who pulled aside from the crowd and Jesus looks into his eyes and says, I want to do this just for you, not because they pushed you into this, because you want this. I would like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if, you, if you've never personally accepted Christ as your Savior, I want you to do that today. In your heart, just let Jesus know that you're a sinner. And I'm sure the sins will start coming to mind. And that you repent of all those sins and your sinfulness. And you realize that you should be punished for them. But Jesus took your punishment. Has anybody ever loved you that much? Would you receive him as your Lord? Give your life to him because he gave your life to you. And just in your heart right now, put your faith in Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. As we mentioned at the beginning, we're going to have a time of prayer now as a church. This is for everyone, not just for anybody who wants to be saved. This is for all needs. Whether you're asking the Lord for a healing in your life, whether you're asking the Lord for, to heal your marriage, to, to touch your finances, whatever you're struggling with, or maybe you want to pray for someone else. I'm going to ask the leaders I talked to ahead of time if you'll come forward. And there's going to be ladies and men here standing at the front who would love for you to pray with them. And so... 
and they, they will pray for you. So you can ask someone to come with you. You can just go to any one of these people and just share with them whatever God's laid on your heart, whatever you want to be prayed with about today. These people are here to pray, and they don't have the answers to your prayers, do they? No, the Bible says we should join together, though, as we pray, because our Heavenly Father has the answers. Jesus said that which one of you as a father, if a son asked him for food, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for some fish, he'd give him a serpent? He said, how much more, if you are evil, know how to give good things to your children, will the Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? So that's what this morning is about. It's about asking your loving Father to give us what we need. And so right now, we're just going to have a time of prayer. So feel free to come forward to pray. You may want to, you can kneel, you can join hands with all these people, you can pray where you're at, but let the Holy Spirit lead you this morning as we do that and we pray. God is good, amen. If you made a decision to trust Christ, say, please let me know. I'd love to be your pastor and help you move forward in your walk with Christ and next steps for baptism and growing as a child of God. Uh, we're all going to have question and answer time. Uh, Tori, would you be glad to help us with that? Great. Um, uh, be praying for Amanda and Charles. Uh, as many of you know, Charles' father passed away earlier this week. There is a memorial service this afternoon. They didn't want to promote it because the, the uh, the mom, Charles' mom, wanted a very small uh, um, memorial service. So just pretty much for family. So but just be praying for Charles and Amanda and all that. So here we go. You can use your mic since, yeah. Okay. Um, there's a prayer request. You can actually share that. Uh, someone watching from South Dakota actually texted that in. My prayer request is you pray for my grandson Jose. He is in need of God's healing power. Also pray for my sister. She is still in recovery of COVID. Also my brother, mother-in-law is very sick as well. Also pray for me to heal my body from my ailments. Thank you, God. Okay. Y'all know Jose, Jose usually sits over here, 19 years old. He's, he's in the hospital right now. Just be praying for him. He's got a lot of things he's struggling with right now. Any other questions have come in? No? Anybody have a question? We'll raise your hand. Okay, Ashley. That's a good question. Um, so I'm not an expert on this one, but I'll do my best from what I've learned from listening to some of these same people. So um, Satan is a title, but they pronounce it the Satan, okay? Uh, it's a title. It's what somebody does. It's not a name. His name is Lucifer, but what he does is he gets in the way, and he's an inhibitor. He, like, stops things, okay? So there's sometimes that someone gets in the way, and it's actually a good thing, because remember the angel of the Lord, where um, Samuel is, um, I'm sorry, not Samuel, hold on, which one, Balaam, Balaam's donkey, and an angel met him on the path, 
the, the Hebrew word for that angel, what he was doing was a Satan. He was in the path to stop Balaam from going to do and pro have a curse on Israel. So anybody who gets in the way, most of the time that's bad, but sometimes it's actually good. So, but Satan, and we usually refer to Lucifer as Satan, which is a different Satan, okay? So um, it sounds complicated, but when, when they use the articles, like how many of you are bilingual? Okay, you know that when you translate something from English to Spanish, sometimes you have to add words to help people understand. You're not changing the meaning, you're just helping them understand. Well, that's the same way from Hebrew or Greek to English. English uses a whole lot more articles, the, uh, and others like that than the other ones do. And so when she says that they added the articles or they didn't add articles, that's not because they're messing with the Bible. It's just the weakness of going from one language to another. Okay, the Word of God is preserved in, in, and perfect in its original form. Then we translate it to languages, and sometimes things get lost in language, but nothing major gets lost. Okay, we're talking about little things like this. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it's a great subject, and I, I wish I could give you a more uh, elaborate answer than that. But um, it is interesting. Um, again, nothing theologically changes in what we believe. It's just more insights and more levels of things. Um, there was something else I was going to say to that. But if you're wondering if, like, the, the serpent in the garden and the devil in the New Testament are the same person, Revelation tells you that old serpent, the devil, Lucifer, it says they're all the same person. So we're not picking that apart, and that, that part hasn't changed. You left too soon. Here we go. <laughs> uh, in Revelation, the Bible talks about beasts coming from the heavens, the ocean, the, and the earth. Would these creatures come true during the end of the earth, or are they a metaphor? Um, there are, it's both, okay? There are some, in Revelation, there are some symbolic ones, um, like the the beast with ten horns. I don't think there's an actual literal beast with ten horns. It's talking about the um, the evil empire, the, the new Babylon. And basically ten horns, horns being different parts of power. So yes, there's purposely, in fact, John will translate most of his metaphors and say he talks about this and then he tells you what it is. Like, we are the bride of Christ. Well, that's a metaphor for us collectively. We're not putting on a wedding dress per se and getting all dressed up for a wedding. We, it's talking about the beauty of us and that Christ is the bridegroom. And so John explains most of his metaphors in Revelation, but some of them are like, for example, when there's these winged creatures that come up out of the bottomless pit, pit and sting men, and the men suffer but they cannot die. It doesn't say that's a metaphor. I think that's literal, that there will be demonic creatures like that. So you have to read Revelation carefully and watch when John tells you which ones are metaphors and which ones are not. Um, I can't answer it more specifically than that without teaching on the whole chapter. Um, here's someone with two questions. <clears throat> Would the demons we read about in the Bible, are, are, are the, the demons we read about in the Bible, are they fallen angels? Yes. Uh, we don't have any reason to believe that there's demons that are not part of the falling third. Remember, there's a battle in heaven. Like she said, Lucifer wanted to be like the Most High. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Boom. 
And there's a reference to Lucifer, the Satan. So that, that was him in that reference. So, so there can be an, a person who gets in the way that's not always Lucifer, but Lucifer is always the one who gets in the way. Does that make sense? So he fell like lightning. One-third of the angels fell with him. One-third of what? We don't know. One-third of a billion? One-third of ten billion? We have no idea. But those are the ones who are roaming the earth causing trouble. We do know, this is interesting, Jude says that there are some angels who have been locked away in chains of darkness because they kept not their first estate. And some pastors, and I'm one of them, believe that when the sons of God try to cohabitate with the daughters of men, that God says, ah, uh-uh, we're not starting a new race. You guys go to hell now. <laughs> so those ones who committed that crime of not keeping their a- angelic state but trying to confuse the races or the, the, the human race, um, God sentenced them to eternity in chains of darkness then. But not all the, not all the demons did that, so some still were walking around uh, in Jesus' day and even today. Okay, so there's some that are locked away permanently, but not all of them. Um, then the second question here, also, did the alphabet we have today come from the Bible times in the beginning? Um, uh, the short answer to that is no. Um, several civilizations, I think it was, Babylon that had the first, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, I think Babylon had the first systematic alphabet. Uh, then other languages started doing the same thing. So there is a Hebrew alphabet and a Greek alphabet, but those are both were alphabets that came along after um, during other historical times. Good question there. Um, all right, any other questions this morning? All right, great. Uh, let's go ahead and stand. And we're going to close in a prayer. And this is the prayer given by the Apostle Paul over the church. So we're going to read this as a prayer of God's blessing over us this morning. So can you go to the next slide for me there? There we go. All right, read with me together. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the lot of love and peace will be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. God bless you all. You may be dismissed.